This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 26, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And in most parts of the country now, we are feeling that fall chill as we ascend on the fourth quarter, a little over a week away from the election. Holiday activities are certainly picking up, as well as COVID cases around the country. Uh, in 49 out of the 50 states, the R naught is above one, which means it's it's spreading faster than it's dying uh, in those particular areas, and that's the first time we've been at these levels since the start of the pandemic. So uh, it's a uh, something that is not only worrisome from a health perspective, but more of an economic perspective of what will the policy prescriptions be that will limit economic activity. And this is also likely to mean a wild ride. We also know that the economy is reliant on fiscal spending. We know that. The the Fed has come to the end of its rope, pretty much. And they've now married fiscal and monetary policy in order to bridge this gap. Right? And so, unless fiscal policy steps up, we're going to have issues economically. And it's something I spoke to on my YouTube video on Friday, uh, speaking about the new Bretton Woods moment, which is something the IMF uh, wrote about. And the fact that stimulus typically lasts three to six months. Well, guess what? We're past the six-month mark. This is much larger than your average stimulus. Remember, post-financial crisis, in, was it 2009, I believe it was? The stimulus was under a trillion dollars, seven, eight hundred trillion. I forgot the exact amount, but it was definitely under a trillion dollars. And that certainly gave a nice boost to the economy, but it wasn't what really drove us out of the recession. That was opening up the lending spigots of the banks, the commercial banks. And I showed that on the video, just how they kind of started to explode, right? The amount of assets, the amount of loans on bank balance sheets started to explode in 2013. And we've sputtered so far in the pandemic. And what's kept the economy afloat, the financial markets afloat, is that stimulus. So without the commercial banks picking up their lending, we're going to head into more trouble unless you have fiscal support, which we do know that both sides of the aisle are willing. It's just a matter of how can they come together on the exact details. And so far, they have not been able to do that. And that's something that must be discounted in this market. We know fiscal policy will come along. It has to. Okay, And it's just a question of how big and when will it actually happen? So that's what I'm watching most of all. But with that volatility of government comes volatility in markets. And that's kind of what you saw today. You had the S&P down 
64 points down to 3,400. Even that's after a strong rally the last 10 minutes of the day. Still, we were down roughly 2% on the S&P. And the NASDAQ also was relatively weak overall on the day. That also down around the 2% mark, 189 points. And this is one shock of lack of stimulus and probably less people wanting to be long going into the election with so much uncertainty involved with the potential outcomes and the interpretation of the market. What will the market interpret will be the actual ramifications of the final election outcome. So I'm Justin Klein, and today on this program and podcast, I'm going to do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions I know you want strategies to help deal with the current market environment, and that's what I'm here to do to help you get some information as well as some perspective to make actionable decisions. Now, let's get right to our first caller at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. My situation is this. I have two stocks, Alcoa Corporation and also U.S. Steel for many, many years, and they have not done well. So at this point in time, I just want to get rid of either Alcoa or the U.S. Steel, but I'm undecided which one get rid of first. So I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Okay, thank you. All right, Alcoa versus U.S. Steel. Now you're talking about Alcoa, which is one of the largest uh, – uh, aluminum producers in the world versus U.S. Steel, which is the big one of the biggest U.S. steel producers. Now, I'm going to say in general, if you're looking at both markets, right? Both are raw materials, both are commodity producers, and therefore their business dynamics. They're, they're what are considered price takers. They take whatever price the market gives them. They don't have any alternative, right? Unless they want to switch into a different business, but that's not their business. Their business is to provide these com- these commodities. Excuse me. So to me, I'm looking longer term. Which one is likely to be in higher demand over the long term? Aluminum, something that's lightweight, has relative strength compared to its weight, or steel, which is kind of an old world type of product. And I'm going to say, I'd rather be in aluminum over steel. You know, the Trump administration was supposed to be this big boon for the U.S. steel market because of tariffs, etc. But that hasn't worked actually. 2016, they or 2017, the year after Trump got in office, they were making a dollar ninety-four, and then it went to five forty. So initially, it did well, and then it sank dramatically. Starting in about 2018, they only made nine cents a share last year, lost losing five dollars and seventy-eight cents a share this year. Revenue down 41% last quarter. I'm going to say I would jettison U.S. Steel over Alcoa. I don't love either of them, to be frank, because like I said, they're price takers. And so I'm going to say I don't like either, but if I'm going to hold one, it'd be Alcoa. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Halloween is in the air. And now I think people realize that the end of the year will is just around the corner. And for investors, it the the... Nest the necessity, excuse me, to remain vigilant, vigilant, never ends. Sorry, it's Monday, you know, guys. 
So I would love to hear from you. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The fourth quarter is moving fast. There's an autumn chill in the air and uncertainty in the markets. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. And the phone lines never close. Call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, guys. Great show. Relatively new listener. Really enjoying it. Uh, long story short, in my late teens, early 20s, I used to trade stocks and a few futures. Got married, had kids. Still working, so I'm still putting money in my 401k. But now that I'm in my late 40s, I have a little uh, excess money that I'd like to start investing again on my own. And I'm just trying to figure out which firm would be the best for me? I'd like to trade stocks and futures again, uh, whether it be TD Ameritrade, Swab, E-Trade, something like that. I, I can't make up my mind who would be the best to go with. So hopefully maybe you could uh, give me some direction. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. My name is Wes. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Really enjoy your show. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Now, this is a great question that a lot of newer investors, even experienced investors, continue to struggle with. Uh, Robinhood is the latest of the popular brokerage firms, but you know they've recently been hacked and they have a lot of issues, especially when it comes to customer service uh, and they're questionable how they do business and how they uh, they make their money. Um, so definitely wouldn't recommend that. And I, I always recommend everyone to move off of that platform if they can. Now, the question is, what large experience broker do you go with? And you know, we, with our clients, we use TD Ameritrade. I don't really care what people go with. You know, it's just for us, it's, uh, it's customer service, it's technology, uh, et cetera, and safety and size of TD Ameritrade. Now, they also were purchased by Schwab, so eventually become Schwab. So you can kind of maybe skip it and just go straight to Schwab. Uh, a lot, too, depends on what your goals are. Is it the lowest cost? There are, you know, with, with, with stock trading being zero, you know, if you're just trading stocks, it's kind of all the same. If you're using Schwab or TD or Fidelity or, or most of the other large big brokerage firms, they've gotten rid of trading commissions. So there's that that you have to understand. So then it comes down to the platform, research. You know, we have something similar to Thinkorswim. That's something that a lot of traders like with TD Ameritrade. That might be a good research tool for you. Or Schwab. Schwab has other resources and Fidelity has their resources. And uh, their research may be something that you like over another brokerage firm. So a lot too depends on what type of investments you're going to put it in. Is it individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, etc.? as well as how much research are you actually going to do and are you going to utilize the brokerage firm's research? And so that matters greatly as well. So a lot of variables to consider, but I would definitely stick with one of the larger ones because you wanna make sure that everything's safe and secure. Now my focus point today concerns the story, the business of education is in big trouble. And with revenues down in the hundreds of millions of dollars, universities have furloughed thousands of employees as well. 
So where will this end up? How will schools evolve? Especially the bigger schools, bigger universities. We're going to discuss that today. Also, the IMF. The IMF came out recently with uh, their Bretton Woods Moment article, as well as the opening to their annual press conference, their annual remarks about taking action now. This was a week ago, and then we had a Bretton Woods moment. So I want to touch kind of on what the IMF is speaking about, right? Remember, the IMF is one of the most influential financial bodies in the entire world. Almost every developed nation belongs to the IMF. And so how they see policy, what they recommend to their constituents meaning their central banks that they work with, their leaders in government that they work with. It's going to be influential, right? So how that policy evolves will be important to understand how policy within each individual country will evolve as well. So I really want to get to that. It's going to be very important. Next, container shipment prices are near record highs. Why is that? What does that say for the overall economy as well as the prices of goods, especially going into this holiday season? And then lastly, if we have time, I'll touch on the semiconductor industry and its trend longer term. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And in these uncertain times, it's natural for investors to be unsure on just how much of their portfolio is at risk. What type of risk are they exposed to? Is it interest rate risk, market risk, single stock risk? That happens a lot too, especially when people are so exposed to one individual company. How can you understand that risk and deal with it? Well, my advice is take our free risk analysis questionnaire over at investtalk.com. Steve and I can use that to develop a strategy that works best for you and your portfolio goals. Look for the Riskalyze link at investtalk.com. And now we're taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to InvestTalk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's check in with James in Sonoma, who's looking at Metafast. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Well, I was looking at it. And, uh, okay. you know, of course, it has a dividend, which I always like. Not a lot of history with dividends. It's already made its move, although it goes up and down a little bit. But it looks to me like it's some sort of uh, multi-level marketing thing, and uh, I don't know that much about it. And I want to know what your opinion was on that kind of stock. This would probably go in my, well, I'd probably put it in my IRA, but I could put it in the other one if I had to. Yeah, I believe that it is some sort of uh, multi-level marketing, and they produce and distribute and sell Weight loss, weight management, and healthy living products. Uh, a lot of it is over e-commerce platform as well. So that's certainly helping uh, their business. Now, revenue was growing a year ago in the 60 to 80% level. And now we're down to, on average, over the last three quarters, 
somewhere in the mid-teens. So certainly slowing growth, and I think that's why you've seen uh, the, the, the price kind of flatten out here around the, the 160 to 170 level. Now, 3% dividend yield, you're right, doesn't have a long history of dividends. Started paying that back in 2015, but it's been increasing it steadily. And its pay ratio right now is at about 65% in relation to earnings. And based on cash, it's only 37%. So its cash flow is strong. And long-term, its profitability, if you look at return on equity, return on assets, that has been rising and steadily consistent over that time. And they have a pretty strong balance sheet, very little debt which I like. So I like the financial performance of the business. What worried me, what would worry me the most is regulatory crackdown on some MLM type of uh, a, a business model. But I, you know, I like it. It's fairly small still, $1.8 billion market cap. Uh, but I like that consistency of profitability. I like the sector that it's in. Supplements are very, very profitable. And I don't see that industry being itself being regulated anytime soon. But the MLM certainly could. So I'd keep it a small percentage of your portfolio because it's small, uh, you know, 2 3% at most. Uh, but I like it. MED is the symbol. And uh, any pullback, especially below 130, I think would be a good value there. Thanks for the call, James. Now, my focus point today concerns this story. The business of education is in big trouble. And let's talk a little bit about why. Now, there's been sharp enrollment declines due to the pandemic across many colleges and universities. In fact, 67% of higher education leaders say decreased revenue from tuition and student housing are the biggest challenges that they currently face. Now, this is coming from the NEPC, which is the National, let's see, what was it? National Student Clearinghouse Research Center? I think that's what it is. Anyway, so. What they're saying is that undergraduate enrollment fell 4% this year, 4% this year. Now, the, basically, that comes from freshmen, though, because enrollment from pre- freshmen is down 16% from last fall. So if you divide that by four, right, uh, it, that's pretty much accounting for the drop in undergraduate enrollment. If you're still in college, you're pretty much continuing that education, even though it's probably a hybrid environment. But a big factor in the drop in revenue for these universities is a drop in students that living on campus. Now, three quarters of those polled said occupancy in student-owned housing was down year over year. And one quarter said it decreased by more than 50%, five zero. So you can see the potential or the actual decline in revenues for these universities. And that's leading to furloughs and job losses in the, in the thousands and revenue losses in the hundreds of millions. So this area, this is another area of the economy that has been driven by more debt. Right, more student loans and the just simple ability for any student to get basically any loan that they want, right? Because of uh, Sally May and other governments' policies that are driving money into these big universities. Now, what is that hurting? Well, it's hurting your for-profit education companies. Why? Well. To combat this, to encourage people to continue or students continue to go to these universities, they've paused, to, many of them have paused tuition increases, right, which makes the relative value of for-profit education 
much more difficult. Uh, if you are pushing people, if, if these universities are trying to get more revenue, what are they going, what else they're doing? They're allowing more people in that maybe have less credentials, right? To fight the drop in that revenue as well. So a lot of those people that maybe couldn't get into the top universities are actually suddenly being able to get access, or at least maybe they couldn't get into the mid-tier universities, right? Or the low-tier universities even. Gives them alternatives now. So uh, I, I really think this is a transformational opportunity for the university space to kind of utilize the online platform to improve their education value. And I, and I think that's what's been lost over the years is how do you leverage technology to improve the outcomes of the educational space? And I think this is uh, actually a good thing long term, but pain in the short term. Now, from time to time, I'd like to take a few seconds to remind you that here on Invest Talk and in my company, KP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients, and we are dedicated to unbiased guidance. So we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so... Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI 
and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Justin, Steve, thanks for your show. Wanted to get your opinion on adding some insurance stocks to our retirement account. We currently have Prudential looking into getting into a regional stock or maybe a reinsurance stock uh, holding for the long term, most likely, probably 15 year horizon. So, Thinking about Palomar Holdings, PLMR, or possibly Reinsurance Group, RGA, wanted to get your opinion on whether you like one or both, and thank you uh, for your show. I was looking at Palomar Holdings versus, what's the other one? Reinsurance Group of America, RGA, so the first one is PLMR, and you're really speaking about two different, very very different types of insurance companies. Palomar is a relatively new company in its history. It's only been public since 2016, or at least that's when the data has. And it's growing pretty dramatically. If you look at its revenue growth last quarter, 67%, although that slowed from a couple of quarters ago, which is 121%. Earnings up 53% this quarter, although year over year from 2019 to 2020 expected to be down 38% in profits from $1.60 to $1, but then back up to $2.49 next year. And they provide specialty type of insurance. So earthquake, wind, flood insurance, certainly with the, the rise in the fires and natural disasters increasing because of climate change, they're in higher demand. So you're really going after here is a growth company and very long-term growth in this particular type of insurance. But the market cap is $2.4 billion, $2.4 billion. And the enterprise value to, to revenues is about 13 and a half, 13 and a half. Now you pivot over to RGA, which is Reinsurance Group of America, that's a bigger company, but based on market cap, not that much bigger, $7 billion. So 2.4 versus 7. But Reinsurance Group of America is much, much bigger. Much, much bigger. Okay, And its price to revenues is far smaller. So from a relative value perspective, it's much, much better. Right? Palomar has positive trailing 12-month free cash flow of $49 million. Reinsurance Group is $3.9 billion. So you're looking at a much safer play. 
much cheaper play in RGA, but you don't have the growth, right? You don't have the growth. Last quarter, revenue grew 4%. Earnings falling this year, just like Palomar, but rebounding again next year. Expect it. RGA also has a lot better profitability longer term. Return equity in the high single digits. Sometimes it dips into the low double digits, whereas Palomar, it's been hanging around the mid-teens, but it's a short period of time. So a little bit more profitable, but less track record there. So Palomar is much higher risk, but much better higher potential return as well. If you want consistency, positive cash flow, a value stock, that's RGA, that's reinsurance group. So it depends on what you're going for. I'm a value investor, so I'm going to go with RGA because I like that positive cash flow, that consistency of the dividend, and the ability to raise that dividend over time, which it has been doing consistently. So I like Reinsurance Group of America, RGA. Thanks for the call. 888 chart, 888 Now I want to touch on the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and I'm going to highlight the opening remarks from their annual meeting press conference. And what they speak to is the dire state of the world global economy, and they rival it to the Great Depression. Why do they say that? Well, they expect over the next five years, the crisis will cost an estimated $28 trillion in lost output. And that's after falling 4.4%, the global economy falling 4.4% this year. But over a five-year period, that's what they're expecting, $28 trillion. That's a big hole to fill. And so they say that we see extraordinary and coordinated fiscal and monetary measures putting a floor under the world economy. The world is starting to learn how to live with the virus. So once again, I said before, they're marrying that fiscal and monetary And they're projecting a partial and uneven recovery next year with growth expected to be 5.2%. So they're seeing that big rebound, but only with coordinated efforts. And they see all countries facing what they call a long ascent, a journey that will be difficult and even uncertain and prone to setbacks. And they're calling for three priorities. Three priorities. Once again, this is important because you, you, you know based on the IMF words, how global governments are going to handle the economic damage, the economic stimulation that is necessary to bridge over the next five years plus because of the economic damage this has caused. Now, the first is, they say, a durable economic recovery is only possible if we beat the pandemic everywhere. Stepping up vital health measures is imperative, as is fiscal and monetary support to households and firms. So they know that these lifelines include, such as credit guarantees they speak of, and wage subsidies. So the next phase of this is to have governments guarantee loans, guarantee loans to corporations as well as potentially individuals. Most likely individuals will be wage subsidies. Talking about MMT. And this is critical, they say, for some time to ensure economic and financial stability. Once again, this is not me prognost- not, not espousing my policy prescription. 
What I think the policy prescription should be does not matter. And guess what? What you think the policy prescription should be does not matter either. It's what the policy prescription will be. And the IMF is telling you this. They also say our new research shows that the public investment, especially in green projects and digital infrastructure, can be a game changer. Supporting workers as they transition to new jobs is another key element for a more resilient and inclusive future. So talking about reinvestment, that's number two, reinvestment in green projects as, as well as digital infrastructure. And third is to help deal with the high levels of indebtedness. And I think it's actually, last part is important. They need access to more grants, concession credit, and debt relief. Talking about debt forgiveness, I think that will be the next pillar that no one's talking about yet. Now, let's head over to New York, talk to, talking to James about mortgages. How are you doing today? Doing well. What can I do for you? Um, so I wanted to talk about a strategy that I have that I use to pay my mortgage, and I don't live by it, but I, I've been going by it for some time. And I don't know if it makes a difference. I'd like to know if it saves interest, if it's practical to do what I'm doing. So it's the end of October right now. Um, Ideally, you would pay a mortgage due November 1st. I have Mm -hmm. paid that. I have also paid the mortgage due December 1st. So my next mortgage Mm -hmm. is due January 1st. Does paying that month early make any type of difference in the short term, in the long term, anything like that? It should, yeah. Uh, as long as there's no prepayment penalty or anything like that, every remember every mortgage can be a little bit different. But for the vast majority of mortgages, and that's just debt in general. If you have the money to pay it earlier, that's better, right? Now some loans won't allow you to pay a certain payment, you know, a certain distance from the due date. That certainly happens as well. Uh, but any type of debt that you have. If you can pay it a little bit early, yes, over time that will slow the amount of interest that you're paying, reduce the amount of interest you're paying and allow you to pay it off a little bit earlier. So I think that's a great strategy. I think everybody should have that strategy. Well, another strategy I like for most people is most people get paid every two weeks, right? Why not split? And most people use maybe one of those paychecks to pay their mortgage. Why not split it up and say, Okay, say it's a $3,000 mortgage, $1,500 from one check, $1,500 from another, and pay them as you get the money, as opposed to just all from one check, usually the later check towards closer to the due date. If you can do that, and you do that consistently over time, yeah, we'll save money. Will it be dramatic? Well, it depends. Depends on how how often you do it, how many years you do it, etc. But I like that strategy. It's a great strategy that everybody should use for all debt that they might have. Thanks for the call, James. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to explore the finance and investment information we have posted over on our website, investtalk.com. For example, you can check out our Equity Income Plus program. It's dividend investing with a boost. What we do is we hold only dividend-paying stocks, and then we add an extra boost of income by writing covered calls on those particular positions. If you're serious about achieving financial freedom, You'll want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk mission 
is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hi, I'm calling about the ticker symbol L-I-N is in Nancy. What do you think of the balance sheet? And if this is something that you like, what would be a good entry point? Thank you for your time. Bye. All right, looking at Lindy PLC. This is a UK-based manufacturer of atmospheric gas, process gas, and industrial gas production equipment. And so it's in the... Specialty chemical space is really what you would call it. They've recently announced a repurchase about $6 billion worth of common stock, which is roughly 5% of their market cap overall. Now, if you look at their balance sheet, if you look at their balance sheet, their financial leverage, a little high. One point, actually, no, it's fine. It used to be higher, much higher. It used to be about four times. Now they're a little less than two. So they've certainly repaired their balance sheet to a large degree. So you know, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm definitely fine with their balance sheet based on what I'm seeing seeing here, based on the size of the business, the consistency of the cash flow. Right, their free cash flow trailing 12 months is 3.5 billion. They have roughly 17 billion in long-term debt. Balance sheet is certainly not an issue for me and this business. Uh, I actually like this company. It's uh, it's on my watch list overall. It's not pulling the trigger yet, but uh, certainly one I'm watching and not a problem with their balance sheet at all. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have only 10 minutes left, so if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now, I want to touch on the shipping container market, and what's interesting is that according to recent spot prices, we're hovering near the same levels as last year, near record highs. 3800 is the spot price for a shipping container per square per 40 square foot equivalent, which is how they measure spot prices in the shipping market. And what it's showing you is that inventory across the economy is relatively low. And they actually did a study and it looked at the uh, the inventory levels. It, it did a survey, excuse me, and it showed that no, nobody in the Ivercore ISI survey found that inventories were either too high or a little too high. Only 10% said that they were about right. So this is taking a survey of uh, supply managers and their levels of inventory. believe they were a little too low, and 60% answered too low. So the inventory in the economy is in a rough spot going into the holiday season with the consumer relatively strong. Now, what might change this dynamic is the lack of stimulus, right? If we don't have stimulus going into the holiday season, people aren't going to have money to continue that level of spending. So the lack of inventory may not become a problem. Now, could we get a lame duck 
right? Say, 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 say the polls went out and, and Biden wins. Maybe does Trump pass something? I don't know, right? Now, there are various beliefs on where they think, where analysts are thinking stimulus is going to go. Evercore ISI, fiscal policy team, analyzed the GDP effects of the potential stimulus. And they have a base case, a best case, and a worst case. Now, best case is you get two stimuli. One in the fourth quarter of this year. So maybe between now and the election, or maybe a little bit after the election, as well as one in January when you have a new administration sworn in, whether it's the second, the second one of the Trump administration or the Biden administration. You could also not get anything in the fourth quarter. You get a split Congress. Actually, no. Their, their biggest downside potential for stimulus is a Trump victory, a Republican Senate, a Democratic House, and they would see a smaller Q1 deal. Why? Because Republicans are more in power. So that's their actually most bearish scenario. And that would only increase the economy next year by 3%, whereas the most bullish would be over 10%, having one this quarter as well as one next. So big spread in the potential outcome for stimulus. Now the next invest talk, this story. Why one analyst is projecting that a deep stock market crash will occur again. That story tomorrow, but for now I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. I am looking to really begin investing, and I already have a small amount in an app called Stash. I have about $5,000, and I was looking to get into something. Like I said, I'm 25, so I understand I can probably take a little more risk than others could, but I just wanted, I guess, your advice on where to begin. Thanks so much, and I'll listen on the podcast. Where to begin is to learn is to read and absorb as much information as you possibly can. That's why we have a book section on our site with some great book recommendations. But that there's obviously plenty of more, right? That's not the end-all, be-all. There are other books as well that I'm sure we'll find, you will find uh, instructional, informative. So the first thing you need to do is observe and learn. And if you're going to put money to work, I would say it's a small amount. If you have 5000 I would put $1,000. To work buying small amounts of different companies that you understand start building a diversified portfolio doing research on different sectors of the economy different asset classes right commodities bonds stocks real estate REITs even annuities right? all different types of investment options so you know what's right for you and your particular goals so you go in knowing that the pros and the cons of whatever you're going to invest in. Because guess what? Every single investment out there has a pro and a con. And often multiple pros and cons. So 
a lot of beginning investors just jump in, they hear a story from their friend or their cousin or their brother, they read something online, they read an article, and they think this is a great investment idea. They throw a little money at it. And they, two weeks later, they find another article or their friend tells you about something. They see something on TV, buy a little bit more of something else. And typically, it creates a, mis a mismatched portfolio, a bunch of random stocks, random companies they own. So work on developing a strategy, though, right? as you invest in individual companies. And make sure it's a small amount. Don't get carried away. You're still young. You have a lot to learn. But also, nothing teaches you more than actually doing it. But because you have such little knowledge, you don't want to be exposing too much of your total assets, focus on saving and focus on learning and in actually investing third. Now, I think we squeeze one more caller question in from 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Daniel. I discovered that there is a competitor which is now even bigger than XOM, ExxonMobil, and that is Next Era Energy. That's ticker symbol N-E-E for Next Era Energy. I would like to know more about the company, its fundamentals, and what I need to know in considering purchasing this uh, stock. Thank you. All right, this is Next Era Energy, and this is definitely not a competitor to ExxonMobil in the way that you typically would think of it. Right, this is a clean energy utility company. They operate in Florida, and they have over 51 gigawatts of electric output through natural gas, nuclear, wind, and solar assets. And certainly they've been investing in renewable uh, energy generation most of all. And that's really what their, their growth has been predicated on. Although recently their growth has slowed down, even though the price of their stock has not. Earnings are expected to really explode next year to $10 per share. Last year, $2.10 a share. But a lot of that has been priced in, right? You're talking $10 a share. It's a $302 stock. 30 times earnings for a utility company. It's pretty expensive. Now, technically, it looks relatively strong. But a lot of this has been priced in. So I think it's pretty expensive at these levels. If you have no energy exposure, or sorry, renewable energy exposure, this is not a bad way to go but it's also pretty expensive. Uh, I like the company, but it's on my watch list, but it's not at a price that I would love to buy it. But technically, it's relatively strong. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. DPC will return tomorrow. And in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free to download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, you can listen live at investtalk.com. Just click on the Listen Live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be akin to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis. 
and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 